The views and opinions expressed by the guests on the following program do not necessarily represent those of Mark Radio, The Shepherd, or its advertisers. From the studios of The Shepherd Radio Network, it's Afternoons with Mike. This next hour is all about our walk with Jesus with local pastors, newsmakers, people who are making a difference for the gospel. Now, here is your host, Mike Gilland. Thanks for joining us yet again here on Afternoons with Mike on the Shepherd Radio Network with me, my good friend, John Stimberger in the studio again. John, welcome back, man. It's always great to have you on the program. Mike, it's good to be here. I don't do a lot of Radio in studio, because it's usually around the state, but it's great to be here in person with you. Yeah, you know, I'm sure that you do get a lot of calls from all over the state. The Florida Family Policy Council, which you have led for how many years now? 18 years now. 18 years. You just had your big event in uh, Tallahassee, the Pro Family Days. How did that go? It was great. Uh, we had Chloe Cole, who's a detransitioner. She's 18 years old, uh, took puberty blockers and hormone therapy at age 12 and 13. She had a double mastectomy when she was 15 and realized she made a huge mistake in psychology class. She's learning about parenting and they started talking about breastfeeding. And she realized I'll never breastfeed my baby ever. Yeah. If I even have a baby, because when you put puberty puberty blockers and ster uh, the steroids together, it, it makes you t sterile. You, yeah, you castrate yourself. Yeah. So. so anyway, it was a great event. Um, we had Dr. Lyle who from, Pensacola, he's an OBGYN. He talked about how they were doing surgeries in the womb and the baby, complicated surgeries before they're born, and how there's really two patients, right? Mm -hmm. And that a person's a person no matter how small. And so he's he was great, very dynamic. And we went to the Supreme Court. We did some committee meetings. And so we had about 250 people. It was a great event. So, you know, John, you were talking about the fact that you do interviews with stations all across the state of Florida with your work with the Florida Family Policy Council, yet we know that the mainstream media, they'll look at what you just said, what you just told us about the incidents that uh, a doctor, a surgeon working in, a role, in the womb, basically on the child, like you said, two people, they'll look at a story like that and they will just act like it doesn't exist. I mean, not say anything. And that has to be frustrating for a leader like you when you're not getting... Uh, parody in coverage from stations that uh, are just from a cultural standpoint, rejecting our message, the message of life. That's right. I mean, the biggest problem with the news is not just bias. It's that they determine what's news. That's right. <laughs> right. And so if they determine this is not newsworthy, they just don't cover it. So you don't even hear about it. So the only thing worse than having an opinion that's biased on something is not addressing it at all. And that's what's happening uh, we're being canceled. Our views are being ignored. Um, these detransitioners, there are so many young, there's over 50,000 girls right now trying to raise money to have their breasts removed right now. Young minor girls online from GoFundMes, right? So, and, and many of these girls, this is happening to them and they realize they have regret. These are irreversible things. So there's a, 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 a growing army of detransitioners, girls who transition and are coming back and saying, we made a huge mistake. And they're speaking out now. And Chloe Cole is one of the leading ones. No, no major news agency has covered any of the detransitioners whatsoever. Yeah. They refuse to cover it. It's a fascinating story. Just, just thinking about it objectively, right? Girls who became transgender and now they're trans, they're, they're coming back and say it's a mistake. That's a news story, yet it's not being covered anywhere. So when you are a leader of a policy council like you are, and you see this and you experience it, and then you, there's another side about you that I just love the fact that you're there too. And that's the, you're an attorney, you studied the law. And I, I guess the question that a lot of us have who aren't in the same place as you are with regard to Florida law and understanding it, how can this be happening in America, the land of the free? That's what we were all singing about our entire life. The home of the, the, the land of the free, the home of the brave. And yet the rule of law seems to be greatly absent, not just in, a, in, in the rural areas of America. We're not talking about that. We're talking about in the highest forms of government in America. The rule of law seems to be taking a backseat. Well, the two engines of social change in America are government schools and the media. When I say the media, I mean largely entertainment, Hollywood, mm -hmm. music, you know, all videos, everything on this media, including social media. Those are the two big forces that are transforming culture, transforming the young people. And so those are the, those are where it starts. 
Now, we're doing so much to go after education. Just this session, we passed a pure school choice bill. Mike, next year, starting in July, parents all across Florida per child will have $8,000 per year. And they can apply that to homeschool, private school, charter school, or they can move their child to another public school. So they get to vote. And this is going to cause the public schools to become better because now they have to compete because parents will take their dollars if they have a horrible school and they'll move them somewhere else. So people are whining about, oh, this is going to ditch the public schools. No, it's going to make them better. It'll make them compete because they'll have to compete for the marketplace on the funding of the parents who send them there. And if they Competition don't like the school, is always. Exactly. It's always exactly. done that. So, so that's, that's going to be radical in terms of changing that. And social media, I mean, our, Florida is really a leader in so many of these things. I mean, the governor is cracking down on you know, TikTok and helping people understand the danger of this. Um, and so we're, we're tackling these things. Media is a little bit harder because you know, it's accessible everywhere. It's mm-hmm. TV, it's radio, it's on your iPhone, it's YouTube, it's everything. So, so media is harder to control, but parents need to look at these things. Matter of fact, Chloe Cole says the reason she became transition tra- transgender was not because of anything she heard in school. It's because of Instagram. She was literally following transgender activists on Instagram at an older age and, and, and as a teenager thought it was cool She's, she's a little bit on the spectrum anyway, as many of these children have comorbidities, which should be addressed through counseling. Uh, and instead they're just acting out and becoming transgender. And so, uh, those are the two big engines that are changing America. That's how we got here. That's how this, this process. So that we need to focus on parents need to focus on protecting their children, building in the good stuff, blocking out the bad stuff, not giving them a smartphone. That's the worst thing you can do. My my greatest parenting mistake ever is allowing my child to have a smartphone. They now use gab phones. Not a commercial for Gab, but there's no apps or internet. There's just five tools on it. You can text, you can email, you can, hmm. you know, call. But uh, there's a you know clock and something like that, FM radio. But there's no internet and no apps. Now you know you deal with families all the time. I mean that's part of what you do with the policy council. And yet it seems that we're hearing all the time. Uh, maybe now, uh, uh, at least in some pockets of America, like in Chicago, where that happened last week where these 10, uh, I don't know how many hundreds of teens just went crazy. They went running through. And John, what I kept hearing over and over was the question, where are the parents? Yep. What's happening with those kids' parents? But yet at the same time, we have to balance that question with the fact that in our schools and where these kids go to school all the time, they're doing everything they can do to separate those kids from a standpoint of any authority from their parents, right? That's right. And even more narrow than where the parents were the fathers. Uh, the vast majority of these young people that are acting out do not have fathers at home. Uh, fathers bring a whole level of character and discipline and restraint. Um, they actually help children understand the limitations of physical force when they wrestle with children, when they mm-hmm. engage with yeah. them, yeah. You know, all these things happen. And just those common thousands of thousands of interactions between a, a man and woman, husband and wife, father and mother are not there. You don't have the normal socialization process. Children can still make it uh, through the beauty of the church and how God restores, right? The years of the locusts have eaten, becomes a father to the fatherless. But without that institution, these kids are just really, um, really a danger to society. Now you brought up another thing that we've talked about before, and that's social media. And that may have moved its way up into like the number one spot. It used to be movies, uh, you know, television, certainly. But social media seems to have like the number one impact. And even with this one particular software piece, TikTok, that you mentioned, it's being looked at not only as being dangerous from a standpoint of its impact on uh, social uh, effects on the kids themselves from what they're seeing, but also as as a governmental safety issue. It's you know being banned in some places. What do you think is going to happen in Florida with that, with this stuff that's, uh, that you just mentioned the governor's looking at? Yeah, so I know the University of Florida has banned TikTok. They've allowed their server, their net servers will not allow it to be used on campus. Several other universities are following the lead. And there's two problems with TikTok. The big picture problem is it's owned by the Chinese. So there's a national security threat. They're mm-hmm. actually gathering loads of data information on American citizens that use the, the platform. And then secondly, there's just the perversion and the filth that's coming forth on it that's influencing kids. Um, so it's a twofold problem, kind of the enemies abroad, enemies at home situation. And so, uh, I think that, you know, it's, it's just a problem. More and more people are becoming aware of this yeah. and, and even governmental institutions are saying we have to, we have to lock this down. 
Now, we have a megaphone here, John, and you're able to speak to people. We don't even know where they are. We don't know their age. We have a wide uh, age range in our audience. What word would you say? What's the first caution that you would make to either a parent or a grandparent to say, get involved and know what your kid or your grandkid is going through? What would you say? Yeah, I said it before, and it's do not give them a smartphone. There is no reason why they need to have a computer that is far more powerful than the computer on Apollo 13, right, and place it in their hands. This is a device which has all of the filth and trash of the world. I mean, here we are as parents trying to build in the good stuff, block out the bad stuff, and yet we're giving them a device that's just completely filling their minds with perversion and filth and, and leading them down paths that parents don't approve of. And so you don't need to do that. There's so much pressure because everybody else is doing it, right? Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, there's this rap song that I'm different. I'm different. Like I just tell tell young people that all the time. We're just going to be different. I tell my, my own kids, we're just going to be different, right? We're not going to do everything everybody yeah. else is doing. And so parents have to just draw that line and lead. They have to lead. They have to be parents. You can't just be, I want to make my kids friends. I don't want them to be angry at me. They have to lead. And there are parents that try to take away social media and, and live phones. And those kids, they literally rise up with rage because they become yeah. addicted to it. It's yeah. literally giving them endorphins and, you know, they're giving this a shot of, you know, the high that you get from, you know, all, every other th drugs and every other thing. Yeah. So it's, it's a big deal. Now you talked about uh, in the past, I've heard you talk about the effect, the impact of pornography on a man's mind. It kind of rewires the guy. Yep. Yep. That's right. I mean, just pornography is a no hold. It's a whole nother world of just stuff that's coming in there in addition to all the trans stuff and and the way that people think about these things but those images are very very dangerous as well and they can lead to other things also now john you know years ago you will remember this as well uh when i lived up in gainesville we had this massive bill that came out and it was it was basically allowing any gender at all to use any bathroom whatever they felt like that day in other words if a man woke up and he felt like a lady that day then the, the proposal was he could go into a, a female's uh, restroom and do it legally. And it, that caused that city to go kind of up on its ear. And one of the statistics that came out during that time frame was talking about wanting to take the consideration for these that felt uh, like they were transgendering, they were uh, transgender, they were transitioning in their genders. And the percentage of people impacted back then was so small. It was a fraction of a, of a 1% mark. So it was very small. Now, fast forward years later, the numbers I'm hearing are, are just greatly increased in that number. I'm sure you hear the same thing. That it's it's a much bigger number, and my contention is we've helped them along the way in that as a as a society. Yeah, we've helped confuse kids on that issue. Actually, um, Representative Rachel Plakin, right here in Central Florida in Seminole County, today on the House floor was arguing uh, the bathroom bill, and this is a bill which will require every single public space um, where there's a, a group bathroom with a single stall it can be you know either way. But if there's a group bathroom, the law will require it, if this bill passes, require men to use men's bathroom and women to use women's bathrooms, period. Mm -hmm. um, and it's enforceable by the person that goes in and sees someone and can remove them and there's penalties for it. It's a little bit of a creative enforcement mechanism. But this is huge because, and this was a bill we didn't think would go anywhere, but the governor saw it, saw it as a priority. And so talked to, he talked to leadership in the House and Senate, and now it's become a, it's going to become law, I believe. Uh, and it's going to trump all of the city and county ordinances that have been, including school board ordinances, that have had this all these same-sex gender stuff where they're allowing transgender people to go into the opposite bathrooms. So this is going to be a great win for public safety. I mean, we, just my own family, I remember we were in Jacksonville years ago. We were in a McDonald's for breakfast. My little daughter goes in there and says, Mommy, there's a man in there. Oh, my goodness. Several years later, we were in Cheesecake Factory right here in Orlando in Winter Park. Same thing. My daughter goes in. Mommy, there's a man in there. My wife goes in. Literally a man. Not even a guy trying to act out. It's trans. Just a dude in the woman's bathroom. Right? And so this is madness. And this will this bill will prohibit that and, and give an avenue to force the, to give owners of the businesses say, this can't happen. Yeah. It, it's uh, It's perplexing, to say the least, that city leaders, the mayors, uh, uh, prior governors that would allow this kind of thing to happen. And that goes back to that first question. You think about the rule of law. There was a time that this wouldn't have even been uh, needed to be discussed the way we're having to discuss it today because a boy was a boy and a girl was a girl. And that was pretty well understood, you know, and then they tell us to follow the science 
but they don't follow the biology. <laughs> now, I'm, I'll never that's understand right. that one. Yeah, that's you always have to laugh when they talk about the science. And then yeah. there's the science of the unborn child. There's the science of basic biology and human sexuality. Of course, that's ignored yeah. for some other science, quote unquote. It really is a perplexing time. And our governor, let's talk about him before we come up to the end of this segment. Uh, governor DeSantis has been quite busy this year. I mean, he's had to be busy. There are a lot of people uh, looking at him and the questions I know are just they're coming out from every direction in the world about what is he going to do for 2024 and the plans. But it seems to me that he has uh, just kind of ducked his shoulder and he's just moving through the crowd with all of the stuff that he is doing. One of which would be the gun control uh, issue that, that's been out and the carrying issue. Uh, that was signed and a lot of people have some confusion about that. I don't know if that's something that you can, can comment on or not. Well, the constitutional carry bill, my understanding is that what it allows you to do is to, to basically do a closed carry without a permit. Without a permit. Now you, now you need to get a permit, but the new law will allow you to just close carry on your own without a permit. So is that in effect yet, or does that have to be I do the not same know the thing? effective date of that bill. Okay. But it will, usually most of the bills are like July 1, something like that, mm -hmm. after the sessions. Now, that's what happened with last year's, I think it was last year's, the law that went into effect uh, after, yeah, Roe, after Roe passed. And July 1, we went to this 15-week law, and now he's signed. And we're going to have to talk about this more because this... I want to discuss a little bit more than what time we've got left, but let's approach it. Uh, the The new six-week uh, law that Governor DeSantis passed in, that is was signed into law at midnight. I understand you were there, yeah, right? I was there, yeah. What was that like so being there for It that? was great. The heartbeat bill um, protects an unborn child after six weeks of pregnancy when there's a detectable heartbeat. And it was an amazing time. There was about 100 people. Um, the governor was coming back from uh, Ohio. And so we were kind of standing around in a side room waiting for him. It was mostly women, mothers. There were children with disabilities there. There were some babies there. There was a woman who used to do abortions in Tampa and now is pro-life and is supportive of pro-life efforts. Wow. So it was, a great, it was a great mix of pregnancy center leaders and things of that nature from all over the state. And it was just the, even funner than the bill signing was just hanging out with these amazing people for about an hour and a half before the bill signing and just getting to talk and rejoice. The sponsors of the bill were there. And so it was, it was a great opportunity. And then uh, the governor came, we kind of went in his office and I actually took, I didn't get behind him. There was too many people already. So I just, <laughs> I took some cool video, which actually was picked up by the media and they've used it as, because there were no video taken of what happened. So I took some cool video shots that have been used. So you by got one Associated more thing Press. to add to your resume. Now yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> but it was just, it was just a great time. I mean, we've been working for 30 years for this kind of thing. And so now that Roe is overturned, but as you were mentioning, the uniqueness of this bill is it doesn't go into effect immediately. Now the $25 million that was increased from five to 25 million, that does go immediately. The funding goes to the pregnancy centers for diapers, formula, baby clothes, uh, vocational training for women, counseling, all that stuff goes immediately. Okay, but let's pick up this up. I'm up against a break. Go ahead. John Stenberger is my guest. It's always fun having him here. It's, I feel like, rapid fire question time. And that's what we're doing with John Stenberger. He's the president of the Florida Family Policy Council. We'll be back with him in a moment. EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat serves all your comfort needs. With over 40 years experience, EC Waters is a top trained comfort specialist, earning customers for life with integrity. No wonder EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat has earned a 4.6 or higher out of 5 rating and reviews across all major online platforms. For all your comfort needs, call 407-603-9144 or visit ecwaters.com. John Stimberger from the Florida Family Policy Council is with us. It is always a fun time. I've known John, my goodness, for well over 30 years. And uh, we've got to do a lot of fun things together in our church meetings with special parties that we used to have called the Bash. Back in the day when you did some pretty good impressions, I might add, of uh, one president, Bill Clinton, yep. as I recall. Yep. Do you still ever do that? Yeah, I do occasionally. Um <laughs> <laughs> when I worked for the Republican Party of Florida, there was a guy named Bruiser Brown, and so he did all the impersonations. So I'm actually doing Bruiser Brown, doing these people, and doing Dana Carvey, doing George Bush one, and so yeah. So can you give us a little? Well, well, uh, Nancy and I recently we 
uh, you know, we very honored to be at the White House. And, uh, well, recently Bill Clinton, uh, said he was Thomas Jefferson. Well, I knew Thomas Jefferson. <laughs> he was a friend of mine and Governor Clinton, you're no Thomas Jefferson. <laughs> That's pretty good. That was actually, he did, he did that. It was at the Republican National That's Convention great. in Houston yeah. years ago. And I was there. It's one of his final, one of his final speeches he gave publicly actually before he kind of retired. Oh my so goodness. Reagan was, and you know, we look back at him now and I think all the time, boy, do we ever need Ronald Reagan yep. again right now in, yep. in this country. What yep. he did and the kind of, uh, you, the way he came in, the changes that happened right after, you know, we had the Jimmy Carter presidency and 21% interest rate. The Iran hostages are still there. Reagan comes in almost on day one, they're freed. And that's just amazing stuff. That's what a leader does. And we, we're we just grateful that in Florida, at least, we've got that kind of leader here who's doing that kind of that's action. Right. I really believe it. We were talking at the end about some of these things that uh, that are part of this bill that was passed in the midnight hour, I believe it was, on Friday morning when uh, you were there. So there's people, they, like you said, they're waiting late in the night. What time did you get in that night? So I think it was supposed to start around 9.30, but uh, the bill signing was about 11 o'clock, I think, in the evening. Yeah. So, yeah. so it was a little in the wee hours. Well, but... they were trying to get... DeSantis yeah. was in Ohio. He's trying to fly in to make yeah. it all happen at the same time. So, Now, you mentioned that some of it is going to go into effect. Some of it included some uh, appropriation of funds that's going to go to uh, different purposes. Tell us again about that. So there's a pregnancy care resource center, and they take public funding to allow the pregnancy centers that want to get it. Not all of them get it, but they can use it. This it's ra- It was $5 million. It's been raised to $25 million. So we have in Florida almost just under 200 pregnancy resource centers. These are amazing women. Typically, some men run the centers, but they just give care and counsel. They do pregnancy tests. They give baby formula. They do food, clothing, like anything the woman needs, literally, including Mm -hmm. sometimes rehabilitation to learn vocational skills so they can actually work, uh, parenting classes. There's amazing resources available. No mother should destroy her child, her unborn child, because there's not economic resources. Right. Um, it's just it's just not needed. There's help is there, um, and even if the child, even the woman doesn't want to parent the child, adoption is always a better option than destroying the child. Like we have tens of thousands of parents who are qualified, and they're going overseas to adopt babies yeah. from foreign countries. Yeah. So even even a child that has Down syndrome, uh, they can be adopted instantly like that. And so we're trying to change the way the culture thinks and everyone thinks that we, we have options, right? And so um, that money flows immediately, but the actual effect of the bill, which prohibits an abortion after six weeks when there's a detectable heartbeat, does not go into effect on a particular day. Normally it's effective date, July 1, that kind of thing. What it is, it's tied to one of five possible decisions from the Florida Supreme Court. Without getting into the weeds here, we in Florida have our own Roe versus Wade, our own abortion decision, which was an activist court in 1989, construed our privacy clause in their state constitution, which is meant for informational privacy. And they said, no, there's a fundamental right to abortion here, even though it doesn't say that. Um, and we've been living with that bad case law, that bad precedent since 1989. Wow. Um, the 15-week bill that was passed is now on appeal to the Florida Supreme Court. I actually wrote a law review on this, which is a refereed legal journal it was quoted to by the states uh, in the state's brief. Two other amicus briefs cited to the law review that I did as well on the history behind this. But um, we're very hopeful that that court is going to eventually, when they hear the case, overturn this bad decision or declare that there's no abortion right in the Florida Constitution. And that's not what the people intended when they adopted it in 1980. So when that happens, then the six-week bill will come into effect when the court does one of those decisions. Is it set like a trigger law at that point? It's like a trigger law. That's Mm -hmm. exactly correct. Yeah. So basically then we don't know that date when, when the court's going to hear that. Is there a chance it is going to be this calendar year? It's possible. It's possible. Um, The Planned Parenthood, which is the appellant has filed their brief, the state of Florida with um, Ashley Moody as the attorney general, the solicitor generals on her behalf filed the response brief now there's amicus briefs being filed, and then the last part is a reply brief where Planned Parenthood gets one more chance to respond to the state of Florida. Once that happens, then the court will set oral argument. Mm-hmm. That could be anywhere as soon as the summer or the fall. 
and then the court makes its decision. And again, they could take one or two months. They could take an entire year to write the decision. It really depends on the court. My guess is that they're going to move on expeditiously on this because it involves people's lives, namely unborn children. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I think we're going to see quick action. That's why the governor signed the bill immediately. He knows this is an important thing. And so people's lives are at stake. I mean, this is, this is a matter of, of, of people, whether people live or die. Without a doubt, and it's coming at a time when there is a, a lot of interest, obviously, Roe v. Wade being overturned. That's, we're coming up on the year mark on that. I'll never forget, you were with me in the other studio when we were sitting in there talking about, and you made the statement that with that, when that happens, it's not going to be the end of the pro-life movement. It's going to be the beginning of it. And I've thought about that many times in yep. this year since then that how true that was, it's more important now than ever that people like what the governor's doing with this thing, keeping it pushed forward, because the other side, they're pretty busy right now, aren't they? That's right. That's right. And what's amazing this year that I've not seen ever, national organizations are contacting us and saying, hey, we're concerned about some little nuance in this bill and that bill and the trans bill and the life bill, because we want to make sure. So they're all looking at what Florida does, because whatever we do in Florida, other states are going to say, let's just copy what they did in Florida. So they want to, people are going to make sure we get it right yeah. in terms of the small details of a bill when it passes. So it's been fascinating to see the attention that we're getting all over the country to what's going on and the nuances of just the bills that we're trying to promote and see pass. Now you correct me if I'm wrong, but this new found reputation that is affecting other states, just like what you uh, just shared. That's not a long-term thing. I mean, that's kind of recent that we've had this level of national impact. We, we all know about the hanging chads with, with George Bush. But apart from that one incident, I can't think of a time where the, the state of Florida, the interest the, nationwide, even among those that don't like what's going on here, they can't stop talking about Florida. Ron DeSantis is just a force of nature. I've never seen anything like this man. And courageous, courage is contagious, Mike. When people see people standing and standing alone and saying no and calling out evil for what it is, they're like, yes, I want that. I want to follow that guy. I respect that, right? And I think what's, what we're seeing is that the pendulum has swung so far during COVID, the government encroachment, the transgender thing, just things are just crazy out of control. Mm -hmm. and, and the governor's not cowing to that, which is the vast majority of politicians do. He's saying, no, that's nonsense. We're not going to go there. We're going to protect children. And if it means, you know, taking over Disney's board or whatever it is, uh, telling teachers they can't discuss this stuff in class, he's very serious about protecting children. And so he's pushing back and people see that and they're like, yes, that's what we want. We want courage. We want leadership. We want bold initiatives. And that's what DeSantis is doing. And he's being mocked on all the late night shows and uh, weekend, like Saturday Night Live, or they're, they're doing things. He's getting, whether he wants it or not, he's getting a lot of publicity. And, uh, you know, sometimes say, some people say that any publicity is good, but he's getting it and it's legitimate. And I think your description as being a force of nature is not a bad one for that particular case because he's out there doing it and he is standing courageously, like you said, against the tide and it doesn't seem to be bothering him i know you know him personally <laughs> yeah he's actually uh, very much an introvert he's not a, he, he's having to learn to be you know external and, and relating to people but if he could have his own he just he would just be quiet and sit by himself mm -hmm. you know that kind of thing um but so i think that's kind of protected him in the, in the congress he wasn't buddy buddies with all the lobbyists and all that kind of thing he just was kind of stood to himself but i think that it was like the Lord's way of protecting him from the big money influence of the lobbyist and even the power structures where he's just willing to do what's right. He's not affected by the media. He's just doing what's right. And his wife is solid. That's the, the most best thing about Ron DeSantis is Casey DeSantis. Yes. She's solid as a rock and she's behind him hundred percent. Many of these uh, wives we've seen in past presidents and leaders, they're just very flaky and they come out years later and say, Oh yeah, I'm pro gay, even though my husband's blah, blah, blah. And you know, I'm, I'm pro choice. And, you're not going to find that with Casey DeSantis. She's she's a solid woman, a solid mother, and a patriot. Now, we all know that she had some health issues. How's she doing? She's doing great. She's cancer-free. And so all that's in the past, thank God. And that was remarkable. I mean, we, we did a little meme, actually, on Facebook. And we only have like 40,000 followers. We're not huge. 
But we did this thing saying, pray for Casey DeSantis. This is a couple of years back, just a little pink square with her picture on it and a cancer ribbon. And that thing got 7 million hits. Wow. <laughs> it like went nowhere. viral. Yeah. yeah, it went crazy. Yeah. So that shows that, you know, the media might makes it seem like the world is one way, but the grassroots people, the common people, the people that understand, raise children, run businesses, they get things on a different level. And they're not influenced by these information elites that are just kind of mocking things and have a whole other worldview. Mm-hmm. And so that's why DeSantis is able to comfortably do this. And that's why he commanded the election results he did because the people get it right. And he's even tapping into a whole new level, like what I call the Howard Stern voters, right? These are people that don't, they're not moral people. They're not Christians, whatever. They're just people that, you know, Oh, he opened the bars. He's, he's fighting for freedom. He didn't make me take the shot. Right. And so they're, they just appreciate that kind of courage and the freedom that they have to do what they want to do. And so he's captured that. And that's money. Politically speaking, Mm -hmm. that is money. When you're able to capture that kind of middle-class people, he won, Single white women, Mike, that's unheard of for a Republican to win that. Like so he won yeah. black mothers. He won Hispanics. Hispanic vote. That's what I started So to that's yeah. just incredible. Um, yeah. And so that is just remarkable to see, a, see a, a leader that's able to bring consensus around those kinds of demographics. Now, this same man is going to be with you coming up in May at, at your dinner, right? That's right. We're very excited that on May 20th, we have Ron DeSantis at our annual dinner. Um, we have a surprise that we're going to present him with. Um, we'll have to let you come to the dinner and see it. Um, the tickets are a little bit pricey, but you know, you can go to flfamily.org if you'd love to be with us for that. It's going to be a historic event. Um, so yes, very excited about our annual dinner with Ron DeSantis. Uh, yeah. That's May 20th, Saturday night, uh, May 20th at the Rosen Plaza on iDrive. Do you have any idea what he's going to be speaking on when he talks to you guys? I don't, I don't. Yeah. Um, He's, he is a firebrand. I've been with you a couple of times at the pro family times where he spoke at both events and he just lit the place up. I mean, he really, he doesn't use notes, Mike. I mean, I remember when you were there that day, I spoke, I introduced him and I said five things about him and he literally just took those five things. And that was his speech. He expanded upon all five. So he's able to just you know, in a very spontaneous way, communicate yeah. and, and do it with passion. It's really exciting to see. And I hear again through the many guests that come through these doors and I'm able to to talk to people over the phone as well. Uh, wherever people live, they always comment on the free state of Florida and the great governor that we have. In fact, my daughter and my son-in-law were on a vacation trip and actually heard from people in a, a, a faraway place, yep, yep. wow, you have a great governor. That was the comment that was made. Yeah. My son goes to school in California, Joseph, mm-hmm. and he no says Joseph. everywhere he goes, oh, you're from Florida. We love your governor. You know, so he, he has become a national figure very, very soon overnight here. Any thoughts that you have? I know this is just off the cuff. Don't answer it if you don't want to. But what what is he going to do, do you think, with this whole 24 decision that's got to be made. So it appears that he's going to run. Um, you know, um, no one knows until the decision is made, mm-hmm. but usually you don't do an autobiography and a national book tour and all the things it, it appears from or, everything or, that I'm seeing or to show up in New Hampshire. Well, or that's right. Like in that. Iowa. Yep. He's yeah. been all three of those places, South Carolina. Um, so yeah, it does appear that he's going to run. And I think that, um, you know, <laughs> I don't know how deep you want to get here and how much time we have, but, um, we got another whole segment. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I think that the challenge that president Trump has is the general election because the reason that we have, uh, the reason that we had Bill Clinton was not because folks rejected Bush one. It's because of Ross Perot. Ross Perot siphoned off Republican voters cut into the Republican coalition and therefore Bill Clinton won. The reason that George Bush too won is not because of anything other than a guy named Ralph Nader. Ralph Nader siphoned votes off of Gore. Otherwise, Gore would have been the president of the United States. Mm. So third party candidates are absolutely critical in the American presidential election process, especially when the margins are thin like they are right now. And you have a ton of people out there that really despise President Trump. They, they're just rabid. They're crazy people. And they're willing to do anything. Republicans who are on the edge and they're willing to do anything to see him lose. And that is not a good thing at all, but it's a reality. And it's a reality that I'm very concerned that if he wins the nomination, he will lose in the general election because you'll have that enormous 
third party movement. And you've even got guys like David French and, you know, Russell Moore and these kind of people supposedly in our movement, but are going left. They'll support that independent candidate over Trump because they don't understand the issues. They, they, they think personality and tone is more important than whether babies are living and dying, whether people are being fed, whether the economy is robust, whether our country is being over flooded by people who are coming here with ill motives. So all these issues are not really a problem for them. It's just, we don't like the way he talks. He's not nice enough. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, so I'm just saying that's the problem. DeSantis has no floor. I mean, he's literally able to show he has a high ceiling. He's able to bring people as, as we did in Florida of all different types together. And that's money in an election. So I think DeSantis would very easily win the general. I'm very concerned about Trump's ability to win in the general. Now, one of the things about former president Trump that I really don't understand why would he be going after Ron DeSantis the way he is? I can't answer that, Mike. It's just, it makes no sense to me at all. I mean, obviously he realizes he's a threat. So from an election, the pure politics standpoint, advisors would tell you, you got to go after your guy, but it's not even substantive attacks. It's, you know, it's crazy stuff, right? It, it would seem, and, and maybe you would feel this way too. I don't know. It would seem to me that not only is that not presidential to, to do that kind of a thing, but it seems petty. It seems like he's actually going to end up turning off people who were supporting him before. Well, that has happened. We've seen a lot of Trump people who are very loyal, who voted for him twice, like I did, are just saying, you know, we can't do this again. He was an amazing, remarkable man who served a, a critical place in a moment in history, but it's time to move on. We're seeing that over and over again, people just saying that. They love President Trump. They appreciate, respect him, but they're just very concerned about, number one, his ability to win, but also just just his lack of discipline of any type and just kind of the pettiness of some of these attacks. Ooh. John Stenberger is my guest. We'll be back with John for one more segment. Don't go away. This is Afternoons with Mike. Palm Beach Atlantic University, Orlando, offers three distinct areas of study. An evening Master's of Science in Clinical Mental Health Counseling, an evening Bachelor's of Science in Human Services, and our new Daytime Bachelor's of Science in Nursing. All of our courses are offered at our beautiful campus on Millennia Boulevard. For more information or to schedule a tour, call 844-PBA-ORLANDO. That's 844-PBA-ORLANDO. John Stimberger is here. I promised fireworks, and I think we've delivered already. <laughs> we've gotten into some uh, sections, and I'll guarantee you, John, you're not going to hear this on mainstream media. You're not going to hear this kind of analysis on what's going on, even here in Florida on our radio stations that are out there. So thank you for being willing to kind of help people sort things through. I have no personal uh, wishes of of harm or, or or evil to come onto any of the people who would believe differently than what believers believe. I want us. I want us to win the day. I would love to see their souls be saved and go to heaven. That's my prayer. But you know, we're coming to this point where we've got to be willing, and I know you agree with this. We've got to be willing to make a stand for what's right. We've got to be willing to make a stand for life. We've got to be willing to say, this is not right. What you're saying is should happen to our young people. And I think it's far and way beyond time that we stand up and say, this should stop. We must stop. We've got it. Here's the truth. How about that? Here's the truth. Yeah. But people in the world, they are exchanging a lie and calling it truth. It's remarkable. And, you know, I had the privilege of speaking occasionally to high school graduation and being the commencement speaker. And one of the talks that I give, I start and end the talk with this question. And I I say this, when the time comes, are you willing to stand alone? Yeah. When the time comes, are you willing to stand alone? And I challenge young people because they have the entire force of the culture and the media weighing against them to do something crazy, to go the other direction and to be against God's design for marriage and family and social understanding of what, how the world works. And so we need that kind of Wilberforce courage that says, you know what, if I am the last man standing, I'm going to stand for what's right and true and beautiful. And here's the problem, Mike, we serve a perfect savior. Yes, we do. And so none of us can meet the full standard. So what happens is even with pastors, because something's not exactly right, let's say their marriage is not as perfect as they want it to be. They shy away. And so they don't identify things because they feel like I'll be a hypocrite if I talk about this. 
So we can't do that. We have to, we have to, even if we have issues in our own life, we still have to proclaim God's unadulterated word and say, this is God's design. Mm -hmm. This is what's right. This is what's wrong and not shy away because of pressure from rich people in the congregation or the forces to be or whatever it is. We have to do what's right and we have to preach and we have to speak and be clear about it. Now, last year, I know you took a tour. I don't know how many, was it 13 states, uh, 13 cities yeah. uh, or regions in the state of Florida? And you, you went through primarily and specifically aiming at, at pastors. So what is the message that you learned from that tour, number one? And number two, what is it that these pastors need to be doing in 2023 to see these important issues line up? Well, the biggest thing that I learned is that pastors are an endangered species. They're literally dropping like flies, Mike, all over the country. The pressure, the economics, the, the internal struggle, the pressure from society, the pressure from their congregations, the criticism, it is brutal. And so number one, we need to love our pastors. That's the baseline. We have to appreciate them, love them. Um, if we're going to correct them, we have to do it in a, in a very gentle, one-on-one, -on -one personal way and not through some fiery email with language that's crazy. So, cause pastors are overworked, they're underpaid and they're literally dropping out like flies and the good ones who are dropping out, the bad ones who are in it for the money and the power, they're just charging on and just ignoring everything and just kind of doing stuff. And so we have to love on our pastors, but we have to also encourage them to do the right thing and to fear God first and not their congregation. Right. And to speak, you know, you don't have to turn your congregation into some political action committee. That's what we're talking about. It's just mm -hmm. that every two years when there's an election, Hey, let's say, Hey, we have a responsibility. We have stewardship. Here's some resources. Here's some voter guides. Um, think about this. This is important. Put it on your calendar. Do you have a plan to vote? And just do something to envision people about being a good citizen, right? Mm -hmm. We're ultimately citizens of heaven, but our citizenship here on the earth is not illusory. It's not fake. It's actually something real. It's a responsibility and something we should steward. And pastors need to lead people into understanding these things. The Christian life is not meant to be lived alone. It's not meant to be lived in a vacuum. Things of everything affects everything. Politics affects policy, affects culture, affects the gospel, right? So these things are all connected. And so when we say, oh, that's ugly, that's dirty, we don't want to get involved, guess who's going to be involved? Mm -hmm. That's right. <laughs> all the crazy people. Right. So we have to take back our communities, take back our institutions, and just be a loving force and an influence there to bring the love of Christ and the gospel to these areas and redeem them when we redeem the hearts and minds of the people in these institutions. So let's say we have some pastors listening right now, and they might be of those that in the past maybe have shied away from saying anything at all on the political side from the pulpit. What's the first step they can do to get involved in a right way? Well, they need to realize that what has happened is the left has made everything political. The weather is political, Mike, right? That's right. Global, yeah, global is, is warming. Yeah. Right? And, and so COVID is political. I couldn't tell mass. Climate change, I should yeah, say. Everything, whatever. Right. I mean, yeah. it's everything's political, right? Homosexuality is political. Uh, transgenderism is political. So instead, they, the, what they do is they automatically, oh, that's political. I can't talk about that. Oh, when it's clearly a biblical issue. So the entire universe of issues that are controversial, even ones that are clear in scripture, are being abandoned because in their mind, they're saying that's political. And what they're really saying is it's controversial. Mm -hmm. So I'm, re I'm not going to address that because it's controversial. And as a result, our young people are just drifting. They're going off into the world because we're not helping. We're not envisioning them. Youth pastors are not addressing these issues. Oh, we don't want to talk about that. Well, the world's talking about it. And so we need to be right there talking about sex, talking about perversions. We need to talk about all that stuff. So kids are equipped. Like they mm -hmm. go into the world and they, oh, there's that idea. Yeah, that's a lie. I can see that. And they understand it and they're able to deal with it, right? But, but if the church does not address these things, then our kids are just left to just wonder. And then they're the next generation, so they're coming along. So pastors need to realize they're being duped into thinking everything's political. No, everything's biblical, mm. right? Now, obviously the Bible doesn't address everything in the same prophetic clarity. Uh, that's why we argue that life, marriage, religious issue, liberty issues, those are core issues that we can say prophetically that the scripture speaks clear to. Right. right? There's no debate. Now, on issues like immigration, ad valorem taxation, those are kind of hard. There might be some principles out there in scripture or wisdom, but we can't speak with the same clarity as we can those other issues. And those other issues are the main issues now of our culture. Now, I know you had it, uh, I think it was last year's meeting, you had the Babylon Bee uh, founder there uh, who was the main speaker for your dinner. And a lot has changed for them. I mean, you know, we've, we've seen some changes in even the Twitter 
with uh, Elon Musk now owning Twitter. There have been a lot that's opened up. And my goodness, it, it's like almost every day we're hearing news that is even different than what anyone would have imagined of what was going on with uh, some of the social media places like Twitter and how Twitter was being used to spy on people and and uh, maybe to influence elections even. Uh, so with all that that's going on, what what trend do you see happening going into 2024 with regard to uh, all this whole social media impact? Do you see uh, a positive thing happening or do you see more concern? No, I'm continuing to be concerned. I'm concerned at a micro level at the culture and society and, the, and them being woke and not just responding to the people um, tw- Twitter is amazing, by the way. I'm a huge Twitter fan. I use Twitter all the time. Twitter Spaces is an amazing live forum where people can talk. Large groups of people can talk. Uh, Elon Musk just had an interview with BBC. Three million people listen to that interview, and you can see it live on Twitter. And you can raise your hand and ask to be speak. It's an amazing platform. But I'm very concerned about social media. Now, the Congress just introduced this um, this new bill. And, but the problem is it was supposed to address TikTok, but it addressed all social media. It went way overboard. Of course, mm. they violated the pig rule, which is don't be a pig, right? Of course, when the government tries to take controls and to get, just deal with the issue, they have to deal with it. So it's like anybody that had over a million followers, they basically gave the right to the government to monitor you and get your access to your data and all that. So way overboard. So everybody opposed that. All the conservatives opposed the bill. So we can't deal with TikTok as a matter of law because- the Congress went way overboard with trying to regulate things. Um, so I don't know. That's I continue to be concerned. I'm hopeful that, you know, if Elon Musk provides an example of what a monetized uh, platform that's still principled and allows free speech and becomes more popular, perhaps there could be some change. But it's so hard because Silicon Valley and all these people, they all think they'll attend the same meetings. They all hang out with each other. And so they're all woke. Uh, mm-hmm. And they and they part of the revolution, and uh, it's going to be hard to understand how they're going to turn back. People, get, we're going to have to just make our own platforms. I think that's what the future is going to hold: is that conservatives and Christians are going to have to basically create their own platforms where they can get a fair shake. We're very concerned in our movement. We're having to think about tech uh, insurance, we're having to think about CRMs, uh, contact management systems for technology for databases, and we're having to think about. Um, banking institutions because we're being canceled. Our movement, our 40 policy councils around the country are being canceled by banks and by insurance companies uh, and by these social media platforms mm. all over the place. I think so you we're just, actually, we're yeah. actually in a long-term thinking process, trying to find major donors to recreate institutions that we can actually rely upon that have continuity well into the future that we can trust and rely upon. I think you just answered a question that I was going to ask next. When we look from 2020 to 2023, the span of those three years, the level of wokeness in our country has just exponentially increased. And I was going to ask you, if you look from 2023, let's say to 26, do you see it it jumping as much as it did the last three years? It's hard to say. (laughs) You know, um, culture is usually downstream from politics unless it's not. Um, It depends on who becomes president. Right, that has a huge influence. All those institutions, they they you know even the military has just gone absolutely crazy, right? Absolutely crazy. And so you know if we get a righteous person as president of the United States who's going to put his foot down and say enough is enough, we can begin to slowly make changes. Um, and and it's both culture institute culture affects politics, but then politics also affects culture. The this whole abortion decision with the Dobbs case this is going to influence the way people think about life, mm-hmm. right? People. The, who grew up prior to Roe versus Wade thought differently about the issue than they think because the law is a taskmaster. The Bible tells us that the law is a teacher. It's a tutor. It helps us to think about things. And so the law creates a barrier and all the turnaway studies might show that after laws are enacted that prohibit abortions, abortions drop because people it's, it has a mental, it has a physical barrier where mm-hmm. they can't do things because it's illegal, but it also helps them to think differently about life and about decisions that they make. We've got just enough time. I'd love for you to weigh in on this last thing about the abortion issue. And again, going back to the the law that uh, Governor DeSantis recently signed, which won't go into effect until the Supreme, the Florida Supreme Court uh, acts on that law. Uh, the issue of, of uh, chemical abortion, I know that's somewhat tied to this. Would the ramifications for that in Florida also be on hold waiting for that uh, decision? 
So, yeah, chemical abortions is the future, sadly. Um, my prediction is that in the next 10 years, you'll see surgical abortions just drop off more and more, and chemical abortions will be the future. The sad part, realistically, is, and it, this is hard to talk about, but in some ways, a, a surgical abortion is actually safer than a chemical abortion because mm-hmm. there's doctors there, there's attendants, quote-unquote doctors, attendants, nurses there. Um, with basically chemical abortion, this is very sad, but the reality of it is you're basically delivering a bloody, dead baby in your toilet by yourself, usually normally alone with shame and whatever the, all that goes into that. I mean, we can't speculate there, but, but that's very sad. Lots of complications involved and there's supposed to be a a doctor involved. Now the problem is, is that you're going to have a lot of illegal drugs coming in. And if a doctor does not oversee this, you, if you have an ectopic pregnancy and you take that pill, you are dead. Literally it will kill you. Uh, And so this is why a doctor has to do an examination to find out the gestational age of the child has to, has to oversee the, the administration of the first pill. And then there's the second pill. So it's a two, two pill process. Sometimes women take, if they don't have instructions, they'll take the second pill first, which messes everything up. They don't have to get in the right order. Or they take the first pill and then they regret it. And they don't want to take the second pill. And that, that creates cold complications. Mm. So there's all these problems that can occur from these. We've seen over a 500% increase in emergency room visits over the last 20 years as a result of chemical abortions. So this law, what, what impact will it have? What it does is it basically codifies the existing regulations that are out there already, but it makes them law in the statute as well, which regulates chemical abortions, requires there a doctor to be present. They can't be, they can't, no mail-in. No mail-in, Right, yeah. from Mexico and these kind of crazy drugs that are unregulated. Yeah. And so it basically takes the existing regulations, which we have some of the best in the country, and it codifies them in Florida law. Wow. John, you've given us so much in this hour. Thank you so much for being with me, my friend. Sure. John Stimberger, president of the Florida Family Policy Council, and that uh, event that's coming up May 20th, and uh, are tickets still available for that? They are. They are, yep. And they can f- get them how? It is being sold out, so uh, folks need to get their tickets now. But at flfamily.org, you can hear Ron DeSantis May 20th, uh, Saturday evening at the Rosen Plaza on iDrive. Wonderful. John Stenberger, my friend, thank you. And friends, thanks for joining us for one more program here on The Shepherd.